that's how most people should live their lives. But at the end of the day, like to be offended by a joke, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. So what do we want to get into today? Yeah. Well, tell you what, do you want to just give an overview of who you are, what you do? And we can sort of go from there for anyone who's never seen your stuff on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, so oh, let's get started. I guess, uh, yeah, I'm Will McGee. I, uh, I've been in the recruiting game for over about a decade, about a decade and some, some change now. And, uh, I've seen it all, uh, a lot of it, I should say, at least I'm always trying to learn. Uh, I, uh, started in a big agency, uh, kind of fell into it just like everyone else does. I don't think anybody, I only know one person whose name's Jace Monroe, who's ever I've ever known that was like, I'm going to be a recruiter when I grow up. And he's actually a very good recruiter. Um, but yeah, like, like everybody else kind of fell into it. <laughs> I've never, I've never heard it either. He's literally the only person. So I fell into it after sales. Um, I was re- like, I did real estate for a little bit. I did uh co-location for a little bit. It was too stuffy for me. Um, and then I was on a train with a friend and they were like, yeah, let's get in there. Like you should talk to my boyfriend. He works at this, uh, this, uh, company called cyber coders. Cyber coders was like 125 people at the time. I was like, number 126 or something uh and it was awesome i was like how do you like i'd never seen that kind of earning potential um in a company at that that young of an age i was like 24 years old making like 180 grand a year like that was insane to me right and um it was awesome it just fell naturally i had great mentors um was a consistent top biller there uh i think i had one year that i did you know, I think I did like 325 in billing and that, and, and it, it's funny. I always talk about this with like other recruiters. I'm like, I never realized how much we were billing mm. as a company, as individuals. I always thought like I was an, a good biller. I thought I was like on the 20%, top 20%, top 10% kind of thing. Like, cause I was always in that realm. I was either like one of 10 of, in every company I've ever been. And I was like, oh, you know that that just doesn't seem like a lot and then i would talk to other recruiting agencies and i would jump into like other recruiting uh, companies that would try and interview me and they would be like i'd be like who's your top biller and they're like oh this guy over here he's doing like 195 and he's killing it and i'm like what like if i was doing 195 i would be getting like canned immediately at at cyber coders right so this 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 like environment of like high producing high billing environment was awesome um and it kind of skewed my vision of like what successful recruiting looks like. Um, I went to, uh, it was good. I got to like a lead role. I was like managing some people and kind of realized like, I don't know, like I, I didn't like where CyberCoders was going and it was a lot of like mass emailing and I thought there was like a better way and I wanted to like develop more marketing skills. So, um, I went into another British company that was trying to exit, uh, trying to enter the U S market. And that company was really interesting. Um, they, uh, they were really specialized. They didn't have any technology behind them. So like, it was like Magento engineers and, uh, uh, like big commerce and e-commerce engineers. So it was like really, really, really niche per recruiter. And I'm really thankful for them because they actually showed me like what it, like what specialty recruiting looks like and how to like create, you know, uh, your niche and your market and like go after this stuff. 
and I came in on as a director of business development. I didn't really want to be a producer at that time. So I came in and I managed a team. Uh, we were able to bring in like a good pipeline. I think we brought in like 500,000 in my first like three to six months there pipeline business, which is, was really great. Um, was able to manage some people to get them to like do their first deal and, you know, and, but at the same time, like, like the, the thing I had a problem with was like kind of this micromanaging piece to it that like, mm. I'm not very used to, and I don't really work well in, which was like, get in at eight. If you're two minutes late, you're late. You know, if you're, if you're going to lunch, you got to be at lunch, you know, for an hour, got to get back like phone calls. And I, 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 and I'm going to tell a secret that, that most people don't know. I haven't done a cold call and I've consistently billed, like, I haven't done a cold call in probably like seven years, like on, on the business development side, on the client side, I do cold calls all the time, but on the business development side, I don't really do cold calls. Like, because like, I just, I think there's a better way, right? Like, I think there's like, a, like, I think warm calling is better. I think it's just easier. I think it's warm calling is better on the candidate side too. So like, I haven't really done cold calls in a long time. And so like when they were pushing cold calls and I'm like, I've, I built like 500, 600K, like I don't need to do cold calls. Like I've never done that. So, um, but anyway, couldn't, couldn't get into that. Like I was like, uh, I'm going to go out on my own. Started at Tima, which is kind of like a franchise model. It's like a step up. Uh, you're starting in like, you, you create your own LLC, you build out your own thing and you build your own business. And like there, I crushed it. I loved it there. Um, great network of people awesome managers. Um, shout out to Andrea Rush Maui. She was, she was like one of my mentors there. Um, and shout out to Nithu Gulati and Jason Kuna, who were my mentors at CyberCoders. I love them. They're my, they're my peoples. Um, but like, it was interesting because like, it allowed me to kind of play in the entrepreneurial space without having to take so much risk, um, having support and all that stuff. And that was good. Um, I got a short stint at a cyber coders competitor. I won't mention the name, um, but yeah, like they sold me on something that wasn't going to be true, which is like, we were doing stuff different. And I was like, sure, no, I don't want to do mass me. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to do mass emailing. Like if you guys are going to do mass emailing and you're going to just spam people, like I'm all about relationships. I want to have like a small team. Like let's, let's dominate, you know, let's, let's be strategic on how we grow. And we can like, you know, show people how to do this properly. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, but I also don't want to produce. Like, that's not where I, if I'm moving from what I'm doing right now, I was making like, you know, half a million a year doing my thing. I was like, I don't really want to move that desk and go to you. And just like, I'm not going to come in here and do business development. Like, that's not what's going to happen. Like, I'm here. I'm going to help you build out a team. And then I want, I want something different. And uh yeah it was all a lie so it ended up being a whole lie um i was like i saw the writing on the wall right away 2020 i was like i'm gonna go start my own thing and like actually just do it myself and um we my wife and i moved to orange county we bought a house um and we decided to go into a talent and a talent we started february february 1st 2020 and we all know what happened in 2020. Um, so mm. like right when we started, closed our first deal, like two weeks in, Christina crushed it. Like I showed her how I showed her the ropes. Um, and yeah, pandemic. Had it. And I freaked out. I was like, I don't have, I, I didn't have the qualifications for a PPP loan. Um, we had just put all our money into our house. Um, 
I was, I was scared, man. Like I was running scared, had to keep it together. Cause you, you know, have? like how much money did you have and how much time? I had like, I had like five months maximum, maximum five months. Right. With that deal, it allowed us to get a, an additional month or two because, um, with that deal, it was, uh, it, but it wasn't going to be paid for like 30, 30, 16 or actually 90 days. Cause it was a split that I did. So I didn't even, we didn't even do like a full desk deal on that one. That was a split deal. So why wasn't going to get paid for 90 days. And then with the economy and everything that was happening and pandemic, everybody's getting laid off or furloughed. I was freaked out. I was like, we're not going to get paid on this. I literally looked at my wife. I was like, we're not, this is not going to come in. Luckily it did. Um, so we, we got some headway and like, and we were cool, but yeah, five, six months, like maximum, maximum. And luckily, luckily, uh, you know, there were some programs on like, you know, your mortgage and stuff like that and like helping people out. So, um, you know, Christine and I got on that and we were able to like kind of navigate, but it still wasn't like, we still weren't really making ends meet. Like it wasn't like we were like a lot of our friends who own businesses were like just getting PPP loans and then like going and buying TVs and stuff. We were like still very strapped. Like we weren't doing a damn thing. Like we were eating ramen. Right. And, um, but like we just focused on what we could control. Right. We just focused on like creating content, getting our name out, building a brand, um, and really just making connections with like hiring managers and talent that we wanted to work with. And it was like the perfect time to do that because you know, everybody was kind of freaking out and not doing any work. So we were doing the work and in June, it all switched. Like everything mm. switched. It just went from, oh, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. Now we have too many roles that we need to fill. And we were just like firing away. And all that work that we did, uh, creating a talent and like playing with automation and technology and testing out all this stuff um really paid off and by the end of november or december we had already we had accumulated like 300k in billing um and that was just like you know just a true wholehearted effort um we brought on our first uh partner program uh member and then in 2021 we did 897 i think um, and that was just like, that was in our sleep. Like we didn't really like do a whole lot. <laughs> like I wasn't, we were working like, we were working probably five hours a day. Fridays were always off. We traveled a lot. We went, we went out, we did our thing. We partied a little bit too hard sometimes. And, um, yeah, my wife and I just like lived the dream and, uh, and then, yeah, 2022, we had, I mean, 2021, is it 2021? 2021, we had our, our baby. Yeah, Kaya was born 2021. So baby came out May 2021. And then like 2022, we were just like, okay, like, let's go enjoy this family thing. And well, we, just, we won't minute, do anymore. I, yeah. That, that year you did um, 897, you said it was, right? Yeah, like 896 or something like that. Yeah. Ow what like what were you doing because i know many recruitment companies especially like two men fans would love to do that like how were you able to achieve such an incredible number between two people working five hours a day 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we were just really targeted, to be honest. Like that, I think that was the the key to our success is we targeted and we we validated roles um, before ever starting to work on them. We we pro like so one of the things that you talk about is productizing your business. We brought on like in that time there was um so like let me take up a step back. A lot of recruiters talk about niching, and mm. I think niching is fantastic, but you're seeing the problems with being too narrowly niched right now. People who are in tech and only did software engineers are hurting right now because there was like, a, like I think 60% of the demand in tech has dropped, right? And it's all in startups now. And guess what? Startups aren't getting funded. So they're not going to scale to mm. the level of like Facebook and stuff like that. So you have very few roles with a lot of candidates and then you're getting dis a lot of these candidates are getting displaced by chat GPT and LLM and all this like code, no, like no code solutions. So now you got all this like stuff happening and a lot of like recruiters are like, well, I can't, I have this great go. I have a, I had a recruiter call me or uh, hit me up on LinkedIn the other day. I've got fantastic go lane candidates and I'm just not getting any business. I have and another one came up. I have fantastic Scala candidates. And I'm just not getting any business. And I'm like, well, are you validating your market? Like, is there demand there? Is there like, I, I, are you just doing Scala because someone told you to do Scala and yeah. you heard that it was great? Like, or is it, is there genuine demand and a really low candidate pool? And the fact that they're not validating is like one of the biggest things. So, and then like when they do get a client, it's often like these like low hanging fruit clients. Cause you know, who's, who's using recruiters right now? when you have a plethora of talent on the market and then you have all these sourcing tools um, in this space. And why do you need a recruiter? Like why? Like you probably need like one or two people um, in the software engineering space. Right. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like they just, you know, we validated everything, made sure that like this was a viable role and then we mushroom accounts. So um, we look at the industry, we validate the industry, validate the roles, and then uh, we validate our candidates. And then we like once we get in, we don't stop. So we did that with like ten or twelve clients that year. So now, now that's not the only clients we picked up. It was just those ten or twelve clients that were we actually ended up billing with, um, and we just focused. So whenever we could get one candidate, one role, we we would do. Let me take a step back again. So. So to answer your question, how did we do it? It was validation, um, highly targeted approach and engagement. Uh, once we got engagement and we, and we got agreements, we, uh, we would then pull candidates in and we try to mushroom them out though. Like we try and get five or six positions for that candidate. And so the only way we could do that well enough was not just doing it on our own with our own business development, it was with partnering with other agencies and other smaller independent recruiters who might also have those types of roles. So we would do a lot of 50, 50 splits, right? right? Okay. So there was a lot of 50, 50 splits and some, some of the recruiters out there are like, Oh, I don't trust anybody. Well, start finding people you can trust and partner with them because they have a network and they have a, a, a book of business that you don't have to like, you know, you know, uh, break your back to get anymore. And I have no problems with taking a 50% fee of 30% or 20% on yeah. a 180 or 190k roll. So, um, so we did a lot of that. And then whenever we got into those accounts, we then 
expanded into those accounts through like their accounting department or their marketing department or whatever we could. And then in hot, hot, hot industries with high turnover, think construction, think um, sales, think uh, mortgage industry. And at that time, mortgage industry was really hot. So I'll give that as an example. We would productize our business and our productization was all about making sure that we were getting a monthly retainer um, that got paid monthly, no guarantees because it was so fast turnover. And we would just go in and say, Hey, we're going to provide you great candidates. We're going to help you place them. You're not going to pay $30,000 per candidate. You're going to pay us a flat fee. You can hire as many of them as you want. And then, um, and then if we have a success, uh, we get a bonus on top of it. So like that was kind of our structure. Uh, and it was a really great model. That model earned us like 80 K that year on one client and, you know, we just crushed it for them. They love us. They would come back to us anytime. But, you know, as you know, the mortgage industry started to fail. And so we got out of it. Um, but that's why I say like niching is great and you should niche, you should present niching, uh, but you got to follow the money. Like you got to follow the market. And, mm. you know, if you look at like what's happening in the government in the US, for example, where's all the money going, right? It's private, it's public sector. And, uh, and Biden just put out the economic stimulus plan. So his whole economic stimulus plans all around manufacturing. I guess where I'm going to be, if I'm going to jump into the market, I'm going to be in manufacturing, I'm going to be in the public sector if I know that sector. Right. So like follow that money, follow where you are. And then like, then you, you can actually do that, but like, don't overly niche because when you do, you're just like, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Like you, you can, you can sell candidates. Like, yeah, like don't go and do 17 different verticals. But if you have three verticals, you can put focus on that have really strong you know, correlation, then you should be doing it. So, yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, a talent crushed 2022. We, uh, we just kind of like my wife wanted to like pursue some TikTok and Instagram stuff. So I was like, okay, let's do that. Um, and we just, we just like allowed ourselves to like, just have fun that year, um, be with our daughter. And then that's when kind of recruiting with dynamite came out. I was like, you know, I really want to do something that's that I'm really excited about and I'm really passionate about. Um, and it all came down to like business models and copy and, you know, automation and things that I was like really happy about and excited about. And, uh, and then chat GPT hit and I was like, let's do this. Like we're, we're ready now. Like it's, it is on, like things are going to change and they have. So now we're, we're a full fledged, you know, consultancy. So. Yeah. So this is what, this is where it gets really interesting for me around yeah. what you do now because i know obviously we had a, a chat before and um yeah we went into you you went into stuff deep around like messaging sequences and stuff which i'm slowly learning about mm. but i think it's i think it's one of the most important things and skills that recruiters have to and anyone in business development actually need to learn about because period i period. i get i get a lot of like um, recruiters, for example, messaging me about, you know, I can't, I can't win clients. And one of the first things I ask them now is send me the emails you're sending. Just, <laughs> just, just cause I think it's a really good, if, if their emails are crap, right? This is what I find anyway. If their emails are crap, it probably means their sales scripts are crap. It probably means their yep. LinkedIn messages are crap. It probably yep. means their job ads are crap. And it probably means their candidate qualification and everything else is crap and how they're attracting yep. talent is crap. So yep. Um, I think it's a really good place to start. And I find, even though I'm, I'm, I'm not like an expert like you are, um, 
there's so many things you can fix off the bat and just yeah. to take it from like a two out of 10 to a seven out of 10 could make enormous difference. Right. Yeah. Um, like for, I, I'll give you another example. I had someone email me the other day. I did a LinkedIn post about it, uh, today, I think, but they were, um, they emailed me a few weeks ago and they were like, can you take a look at our emails? Um, and they was all, every single follow-up started with like, just, just circling back. Just, you know, the, the typical circling back, are... putting this at the top of your inbox. Like, yeah, come on. We got, yes, we got exactly. better things to do than that. So yeah. Anyway, over to you. Tell us some stuff about messaging sequencing. What should recruiters and, and business development people be doing? How do you build uh, a message sequence to get you more replies? I know you, you've got so much to talk about on this subject, so I'll just let you speak. Oh, man. I could go deep and wide on this. I'm going to try and keep this as tight as possible. So uh, first things first, right? What I, saw, what I talk about in the beginning is validating your market. You have to understand where your market is and um, you have to understand your market. So a lot of times what recruiters end up doing is they, like I, in the same example I gave with the Scala and you know, Golang person, um, they get put into recruiting and they say, here's the market that you're gonna go after. They're not told exactly what that market is. They might do some research. They might understand what Golang does and why they might use it or whatever it might do. But they really don't understand like what is happening and what pains are being solved by that by that candidate, right? And so what ends up happening is a lot of recruiters will then go out and then pitch service. And it's the worst thing you can possibly do. I, I'm kind of in a little bit of an, a LinkedIn tiff right now with uh, another, linked, uh, another recruiting podcast guy um, about this. And it's funny because like it, they, this, this concept of pitching service to me is not lost because that's something I thought too, when I went and started my own business and it is farthest from the truth. Like no one cares about your service. No one cares about how you go find candidates. They want to know, can you get me a great candidate and can you place them? Um, because you aren't the solution. Your, the, your candidate is the solution. So the first thing I always tell people is instead of like pitching service in your copy, and when once you understand your market and you validated it and you understand what your candidate does for your your end user or your hire, your hiring managers um, and for the company, you need to create angles or uh, in in what I mean by angles is like the the angle in which you're going to approach the client on the pain or on the the aspiration. I, we call it the before and after state. So what was their life like before they had these candidates in play and was their like life like after they have these candidates in play and that aspirational after state is what you are tapping into and that's the part of the copy that you want to bring to the table so you're talking about your candidate and how they're going to influence the company the team the person um and then that's that that personalization piece right but I don't really believe in a whole lot of personalization. I know there's a lot of comments on there on personalization and everything that's out there about like having to create, you know, like go one by one. I don't think you have to. I think you can contextualize deeply. Um, and the way you contextualize is, uh, and it'll seem personalized. Like, so the way you contextualize is you go to a specific segment in the market. Let's say um, I'm going to use tech, but. I'm going to use tech because that's what I know the most. Um, but it's hard to do this in tech right now. Uh, but let's say 
series A to series C companies, 60 to 100 million in funding um, that are in the B2B SaaS space that are, uh, that have, you know, 300 or some odd more, uh, 300 to 2000 people in their company, right? Something like that, right? Um, that's a really, really specific market. Now, if you segment it further and you say, hey, I wanna only look at benefits candidates. Um, so I'm looking at Gusto um, or companies that are looking or are likely to exit. So you're creating these like observation points, like how long has it been since they got their funding and all this stuff. So you're, cre you're doing all this prep work before and getting the you know, similarities of the companies that your candidate worked at. You don't do it on the thing that like you are hoping that you know, they, they want, right. So you have to go based on what your candidates experience was, and you kind of reverse engineer all that data. And then you create these like great messages about the candidate and how they've influenced the growth of those companies and how they can do that for this company and for this team. And now you have a better message. Um, but again, if you don't have demand for that candidate, it's going to fall on deaf ears, right? No one's going to care. So you need to ensure that there's demand. It's a growing industry and you have a great candidate within that industry and with that title, right? So that's, that's kind of how I approach all my BD. And when I do that, it blows up and it turns on right a quick, right away. Um, so I'll stop there. Do you have any questions on that? Like, uh, cause I can go One, deeper. Yeah, I do actually. So one thing that you've mentioned a few times is obviously validating market. And this is something that resonates with me because I've been in a situation a few times in my career um, where I was working a super niche, super tight niche. Let's say, let's, okay, I'll give an example. So I, I used to do like QA, SDET, test engineer um, mm -hmm. recruitment. And I did it in one particular location worked mm -hmm. fantastically. I, you know, I was one of the top billers. Um, and then I went and did it in a different location about a year later in a, in a far mm -hmm. more saturated, um, location. It was actually London that I, I moved my location to, mm -hmm. and it was basically a complete waste of a year. Yeah. How do you go about actually validating a market without, you know, without, is, is it possible you can just you, you, is it possible you can validate it without actually working that market for say a month, trialing it and seeing what happens? Yeah, no, I think the big part, like I, what, what, one of the things that we do with our, our, like we just finished our cohort and, um, our cohort, <laughs> I think a lot of them thought that we were just going to do a bunch of templates and do, you know, some strategy. And I was like the first two days of our core or first two weeks of our cohort was all about like really validating, getting the numbers, talking to your customers uh, or talking to your potential candidates, potential, potential clients um, and figuring out like what is going on in that space? Why is their role important? What are they doing to help, um, you know, better the company and how does like their hiring manager feel uh, or, or how is the hiring manager themselves feeling um, now that they don't have, whenever they don't have these people in or good candidate in play? Um, and when, do, what do they feel like when they do have a good can, how does it, how do they, how do they, uh, measure that success and understand that? So that's, that's a big part of it is really understanding your persona. But then the second part of that is then going, okay, cool. Like, um, 
how many jobs are on the market, right? How many of those roles are actually active? Um, and then you look at, you, and if you go and look at the jobs that are on the market, how many people are applying, right? So there's a lot, for example, right now, there's a lot of like HR recruiter, uh, HR and recruiting recruiters, rec to rec recruiters uh, that are struggling right now because as soon as a recruiting position internally comes up, there's like 800 candidates in the first yeah. three hours. Like if you have, the, if you're seeing that, then, you know, your, your market's probably pretty saturated and you're probably not doing it. Then the other part of that is how many of your competitors are in the space? So look at, one of the things I like to do is I look at, a, uh, I look at my old companies, <laughs> um, you know, and see what they're doing and see like their job postings. And if there's a lot of job postings in that specific space, I go, okay, well, they're no, they're no territory, you know, recruiting firms. I can now validate that there's opportunity there um, because these companies are going out and finding these roles. And whenever someone has success in it, what happens is like the whole train comes along. So, you know, one, like when I did a product, programmatic advertising um in 2015 i i built like 400k in three months and um as soon as people started to see like what is will doing like what is this what's happening and then like everybody jumped in and so my market got screwed that was one of the reasons why i left cybercoders because i was like i can't focus on like something and actually you know capitalize on it it's really frustrating so you know you can look at you can look at that and you can see like how many people are coming after this market. And if you go on the, these, these competitor sites, um, look at their job boards, a lot of it's manufacturing, a lot of it's accounting, a lot of it's bio or medical uh, professional, right? So um, that's where the markets are. Uh, that's where the hot markets are. So you just need to figure out what your hot, hot markets are and then follow that. Um, that's one, one way of validating it. And then lastly, like just look at economic indicators, like read the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> read read the news and hear where money is going i have a 400 dollars a year crunchbase account that i've had for now seven years seven or eight years i'm like one of their first customers because they give me news and i can validate mm -hmm. information of what's happening and i'm following the funding i that was one of the best advice pieces of advice i got from my mentor um at cybercarters like follow the funding and when, when you look at where that's all going, what location, what industry, all that stuff, go find the hottest roles in that space. And then, you know, see where there's very little, like very little uh, candidate market for, and then go find yourself a badass candidate in that market. It's like, it's, it's pretty simple. It's not very mm. complicated. And guess what? You're not selling, oh, I've got like... I help you create market maps and we do like full evaluation of your recruiting process. Like, screw that. Like, don't even like come, like, you could have that conversation post, go present a candidate. Hey, I've got some really great candidates fit your space. Exactly what you want. Do you want to look at them? Yeah, good. Let's get on a phone call. Now you can talk about your other marketing, other, other strategies, how you do things. You can upsell, downsell, do whatever you need to do. But like, don't do it in that first email. That's not what you're selling as a recruiter, as a recruiter, you're not selling that. Yeah. Interesting. What's so, the, um, yeah. what's like, so when someone comes to you with their messages, what's like the first thing, what's the, what's the most common mistakes that you see by recruiters? 
Uh, I'll give you three. One oh. is because uh, it, it always comes in like threes. It's one, it's too long. I don't know who started it. Um, I have a, I have a suspicion. I'm not going to name names, um, but someone in the space that's coaching basically said you should create these like service based emails that tell the company, you know, your like where you are and who you are and what you're about and all. This. No one cares. Again, no one cares. So it's and then they create these like long paragraph emails, and again. I felt like I'm not saying that like I'm perfect because I did this shit too. I did it and I tested it and it doesn't work. Right. So long emails Two, they make it all about them and their service. Right. So in that same vein, they're making these long emails about their service and what they're doing and their case studies and all this garbage. It doesn't matter. Like think about like, you got to look at things in these first cold emails, like, how Nike or Apple or anybody would present a commercial to you. Now, Nike is not a great example and Apple's kind of not as good of an example anymore because they've gotten to this point of like, you know, name brand, but like, what was the last good advertisement you saw? And most of the time when you see those advertisements, they're not talking about themselves. They're showcasing their customer as the hero and like they're having a great time or doing something that they always wanted to do. Um, I think about the one I think about the most is uh, there was like these like little gel guns that like you can like shoot. And the thing I was like so impressed by was like, like the reason why I wanted it was it looked like so much fun. Like I want it. I want that. I want to go have fun. And so it created this emotion of just being like, this looks like, like a lot of fun. I'm what they're not saying is like, Oh, our gel guns are, you know, uh, built with three inch plastic and, you know, mm. EPA certified and like, that, like no one cares. Like no one, they just want to, they just want to have fun. And like, that's the after state of the situation. Right. And so they talk about themselves too much and they don't talk about the candidate and how the candidate is going to help the, how, how that candidate in that solution is going to turn that client from a bad before state to a positive aspirational after state. And that's from Ryan Dice. So I didn't learn this. I'm not coining this. It's not me. That's a market, uh, digital marketer guru that I followed for a very long time. His name's Ryan Dice. If you guys want to follow him, he's awesome. Um, but you need to, you need to take that sales approach there. And then the lastly, they ask for time and I never ask for time. I ask for yes or no. So everything has to incite a yes or no question. Um, and when I started doing that early on in my career was like, do you want to see this resume? Yes. Um, uh, is that some, is that a profile that might be interesting to you? Yes. Right. Um, am I wrong for thinking that, that this might be a priority for you? Yes. <laughs> right. And so it's like, mm. I want to, I want to elicit either a yes or no versus a CTA that says, Hey, do you have time for me to like jump on a call? Cause nobody has time for you. Like not a, not like. I run a small business. I don't have time for most people. So people call me and they're like, Hey, can I get, you know, an hour of your time to like, like, like talk about my business? Like, why, why, why would I do that? Like, not like, I'm not trying to be an asshole, but like, why would I yeah. do that? Right. So it's like, I don't have time. I don't have time to do that. So if you want to, if you want that, like incentivize me, 
pay me 99 bucks an hour, right? Like, 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 let's, let's talk. We'll, we'll happily do that. Like, let's do it. But otherwise, like I have to, I have to run a business. So I have to make money and my, my wife depends on it. My kid depends on it. Like I don't have time. So, um, yeah, those are the three things. There's another thing as well that we discussed before. Um, you went like, I think you went like super deep on like marketing and stuff, which I found really interesting. So it was, I think it was the five levels of, of awareness. It was like problem aware, product aware, that sort of stuff. Can you, can you explain a bit about that? Cause I know you talked a bit about frameworks and, um, yeah. there's loads of, loads of other stuff, which I've since actually looked into. Cause I think you sent me some stuff, but for the, for the sake yeah. of the listeners, like, can you talk a bit about that? And like the, the frameworks you know about? Yeah. So in capturing leads, um, recruiters are terrible at it actually right and it's not to your again not not no fault to the recruiting recruiting space and the recruiting industry it's just that you weren't taught it um most recruiters kind of fell into it really early and they were coming from mm -hmm. like a la fitness or like some sort of fitness gym thing and they were a salesperson that did really well and they're like oh i'm great with people i could be a recruiter um and one of the things i ended up finding was um I look, I, I, I'm, I'm a student through and through. I'm, I'm first and foremost a student, then I'm a coach, right? So I go and find gurus in every space, e-commerce, sales, marketing, like recruiting, obviously business development, whatever. And I try and get the, the perspective of what they're doing to make them successful. So I, I study that a lot. Um, and one of the things that always kept on coming up in sales approaches is understanding like, how you're engaging your clients or engaging your potential customer um, and what stages of awareness they're in. And so stages of awareness are uh, an unaware state, uh, which is like where I think like something like 60% of the market is at. And that means that they're completely unaware of uh, a problem or whatever it might be um, that, that your solution provides. Um, and then there's problem aware, meaning that they now understand that there is a problem and uh, that there's something that, that they need to attract, right? Uh, uh, but they don't know exactly what or pinpoint what it is. Uh, and then as a business owner, your, your job or marketer, your job is to get them from unaware to problem aware and then keep them going down the stage stages, the different stages, um, really seamlessly and help them help them get there. Uh, and the way you do that is kind of the, the pull, it's the offers that you provide. And that can be anything from, uh, and the modes in which you're providing it. So like, you don't want to go to an unaware person and start emailing them. Like, that's just not right. Like you're, you're going to just get a lot, you're going to get put in spam. They're not going to really care. And so you need to figure out ways to get from unaware to problem aware. And that's usually like right now we have the benefit of social media and LinkedIn and all that stuff. Um, and you can help them kind of agitate the problem that they might not be thinking about. Um, and that problem aware stage, I think is like 27% of the market or something like that. Um, so they know that they have a problem. They don't know what the problem is and you're helping them figure out what that problem is from there. You pushing them into the solution aware stage and solution aware is that, Hey, I know I have a problem. I know there's a solution, but I don't know. And I know, I know that I know what the problem is. And I know there's a solution to that problem. I just don't know what the solution is. And so in this, in our case, in recruiting, it's like, let's just use an account, a CFO, right? Um, a CFO might know that they have a balancing of the books issue. They're not hitting their deadlines. Um, and they're realizing, Hey, I just need, a, I need a better staff, 
um, to do that. I need someone who's specialized as a CPA, for example, as tax season approaches. Um, so they know that they need it. The solution is I could either go with a person internally, I can go with a contracted person or fractional CPA, or I can go with some sort of um, accounting agency. And all those solutions have their benefits, pros and cons, and whatever it might be. So you're trying to push them, you're trying to educate them on all the solutions that are available to them and with a tilt, right? Like, hey, like this is actually the better solution for this particular scenario that fits like, you know, whatever it is. And so you're doing that with your candidates. Um, and that solution aware stage, I think is like 17% of the market, something that's like really low. Um, and then ultimately that gets them to product aware, which if they've gone down the path, they now are at the point where they're posting a job. They said that they need somebody internally or they're having or hiring somebody on contract, whichever your space is. And at product aware, you're already late to the game. And that's only like 3% of the market. So you could either have 90% of the 97% of the market, or you can have 3% of the market. And almost all recruiters focus on the 3%. Like almost all recruiters go to the, the job boards and they go, who's hiring for these roles? And now I'm going to go market to them and I'm going to go show them these great candidates. And you're competing against thousands of recruiters at 3% with 3% of the market. And so you're wondering like, oh man, why is my business not working? Because you're not hitting them before they've gotten there. You're not showing them like the, the value of the types of candidates you have um, and the candidate pools you can bring to, to the table um, before that happens. And there's ways to do it. Um, there's different modes, different messaging, whatever it is, but ultimately like that's the product aware stage that you want, you want to be driving them to, but you want to be there before you want to, you ideally want to be there in the problem and solution aware stage. Um, but the only way you can do that is by creating content and kind of having some sort of like funnel or partnership program or doing podcasts like this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can, you can jump in and figure out ways to, borrow audiences or do that but like you it's you're not doing that on an email on a cold call you might go to a conference for example um but i think too many recruiters focus on that three percent and hope to get to the you aware stage which is the last stage and that's like you know very small so, so that's that's interesting then so when when you're like um you know setting out candidates, right? Specking out candidates to try to generate business. So are you, you wouldn't even necessarily go after a company who are even hiring or ha even have conscious plans to hire for something. Um, you would, you would go in with like, this is a problem. This candidate can solve that problem. You weren't even probably thinking of hiring a, uh, what's it called? A pro programmatic, programmatic marketer. Yeah, programmatic. So yeah. I'll, I'll give you, so there's, I've done this across multiple industries. So, but I'll give you the one that I had, like what that discovered it for me. And the one I, I would say I had the most success, success in, um, back in 2015, um, there was like thousands of advertising companies, thousands out there and they were all getting funding. Again, I followed the funding, I followed the rounds. I was like, who's getting it? What's happening It was all based on digital ads. And every company that was getting funding was all implementing what they called programmatic advertising platforms. And programmatic advertising platform, basically like a marketplace for um, you to buy ads. We use it on Indeed right now. It's like, oh, like if, like as demand goes up, you pay more as supply goes down, you know, you know, you know the deal. So 
uh, now Indeed does it on job boards. And I think even LinkedIn has that now too. So programmatic advertising just is a autonomous way to increase and decrease um, the the purchasing or the pricing of the ad um, and the lead generation. So what I did was I found all the program, all the, all the companies that were get all the advertising companies that were out there ad tech companies specifically. Um, and I would look at, do they have a programmatic offering? And the first thing I did was I found, um, and then I kind of stumbled upon this to be honest with you. Like, so I found like the VP of product and a director of product at one of the largest uh, programmatic players in the game. They were Pubmatic at the time. Um, and I found another one at OpenX, which was another big player. Uh, and I found another one at a, another company. So I found three. That was like my, my number. I was like, okay. And I found them in all different ranges of experience and product management. And so I just went to all those companies that didn't have a programmatic platform. And I said, hey, I've got senior to executive programmatic, uh, uh, senior to executive candidates coming out of programmatic platforms like Pomatic, Vidopia, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Um, would you want to take a look at those kinds of candidates? And I tapped into FOMO. There's this fear of missing out as the market was expanding and getting all this cash influx. Yeah. A lot of these, these ad tech companies were trying to figure out their programmatic play. So they were like every CEO, every VP of product. Yes, 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 yes. I got a 50% reply rate on that short email. Really? And I like my, uh, my manager at the time was like, what the hell are you doing? Will? what's happening? Like, how are you getting this much, this many candidates? And literally it was a one-to-one. -one. And so at one point I had to go to my, my candidate and I, your candidates and be like, Hey, like what companies do you want to work at? Cause I could probably get you in. And I was like, and like, they were like, Oh, well, I don't really want to work at that company. And so it became one of those things where I had too much demand for the supply that I had. So then I had to go out and find more supply. Right. So I was like, okay, now, now I'm in a good situation. And, um, I ended up placing like something like seven executive candidates that quarter. It was insane. Like anywhere from director to VP level. And so I, I made like, it was like my biggest deal was like $72,000. And I was like, that's insane. Like it was, it was nuts. Right. And so when you find that FOMO, it becomes really easy. Um, and that's why I say I, on my last post, I, I, one of the posts I just recently posted was like, people think they have a really great candidate. And it's like, who gives a damn about your great candidate? Like, Every, there's a lot of great candidates out there and not to, you know, shit on great candidates. I'm just saying as a business, as a recruiter, your mark, your job is to go find companies that are hiring for hot, scarce roles. So that way you can make a, make a buck. Like that's, that's the point. And you have to hit that, that market really hard. So like, no one cares that you have a great candidate. No one cares that your best friend is this badass from Carnegie Mellon. And it's a product manager or a project manager at you know, uh, some food company and like, that's awesome. You know, like that, that candidate might be great, but how many food companies are hiring for project managers right now? So if you don't have those two things or three things, like I talked about industry, hot position and a great candidate, then you're, you're going to be beating your head against the wall. Um, so it's really just finding that demand, um, in that space. Um, I don't know if I answered your original question, <laughs> kind of went on a tangent. <laughs> I think, I think you did. I think you did. But it's all very interesting, okay. anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah. So uh, look, obviously we, we've we've covered a lot there. But I think the way to sort of an interesting way to close this off, and a question I want to ask actually is, what where do you see recruitment going over the next I don't know five years? Because obviously you've mentioned ChatGPT, 
it's obviously yeah. you know, big in your world and there's obviously there seems to be like a new ai tool every single month at this point yeah leveraging chat gpt or whatever so where where do you see things going i love this question because it's an answer that most of us don't want to hear um i think one of the things that happened over the last three years is we had this massive influx of people entering our space and I was just talking to my wife about this. She just passed her real estate exam or like a, the first part of a real estate exam. And I was like, um, you know, real estate is one of the only professions that you can get a D and get a license <laughs> like in, in, uh, <laughs> in the space. So don't, don't worry about like testing that great. Cause it's just a D, but then what happens because of that D and that licensing is you get kind of like crappy real estate agents, right? Like there's not, there's no, there's a really low barrier to entry. Well, what's recruiting? Recruiting you to get a real, a recruiting title, you have to have a pulse and yeah. that's it. And, and, and so now, and a voice and shit, you don't even have to have a voice now. Like you can just go use ChatGPT. Um, yeah. And so it's like, at the end of the day, like there's so many people that entered the market and it's like, well, we're in a really good position now. If you stick through it, the bad ones are going to leave, right? A lot of the bad recruiters are going to go by the wayside. They're never going to enter the market again. And we're going to have a shaving off of, of a quite a bit, a few recruiters. The good ones are going to stick, stick through it and, you know, continue to push, you know, really great candidates and, you know, good fees and stuff like that. The amazing ones though, the top tiers are adjusting their strategy as a whole and figuring out what they need to learn and develop in their business. So that way they can compete at a higher level than anybody else. And how do they productize, as you would say, their business in a way where they can get consistent, valuable income and provide the value that everybody wants, which is fantastic candidates or if you're more interested in like service and operations and you know talent acquisition strategy like that's all great that's fantastic but then sell that as your service and not the fee which is you know i'm going to get you 30% i'm going to have a candidate in here for 30% because if you really want to create awesome talent acquisition that does uh, strategies that takes time and so a company is not going to want to pay you 30% on, you know, a hundred roles, they're going to want to, they, they want to figure out a way for you to be more of a consultant. So if you're going to sell on service, sell as a consulting service versus trying to sell as a recruiter. So I think there's going to be this big shift where you're going to see a, a, a clear differentiation from 20 to 30% fees to, Hey, monthly retainers and more like a marketing agency. I'm like, I'm going to come in and help you service. I'm going to come in and you're, you're, your tilt could be anything from like, I'm going to help you create chatbots within your HR organization that helps, um, you know, candidates as they come in to capture that lead, get them to tell you about what they're looking for. And ultimately, you know, have a pool of candidates for you to be able to choose from when the time is right for that, that type of role. You're seeing it already in LinkedIn. LinkedIn's already starting to switch to that direction because now they have the, um, the interested in working for button. Right. And so that is where things are transitioning. It's like, Hey, like let's 
capture leads and capture potential candidates. And we can create that service for recruiters that are internal that can then capitalize on it. And so I think that's, I think we're seeing that shift and we've recruiting has always been like, like seven years behind marketing and sales. And mm. I think we're now starting to see what marketing and sales had gone through happening in recruiting. It's just, how it, and what the problem is that when it happens in recruiting, it happens really fast. Like, so it's like, it, it took seven years for marketing and sales to get to this point. And then it's like, oh, now we can put it in recruiting. So like, let's just, now it's implement and we can scale and it's just quick. And so overnight things happen. And I think that's, what's gonna, you're gonna see it overnight as demand goes up, as these economic uh, indicators are showing 3% inflation is now at where we're at in the US, things are gonna start popping again, you know? And the people who are gonna be like doing fantastic are the ones that have like, like there's a company called Zor AI. Their productized version of their service is they have a platform where companies can come on and just identify blue collar workers. Like, and it's and it's really easy for them to do. It's not like, a, it's not a crazy service. It's just like, hey, it's kind of self-serve. They pay like $500 a month, right? Or I think it's 500 bucks a hire. And they're like, yeah, we, we charge super low because we don't have to put a ton of effort into you know, the man hours and we can sell on volume. So depending on whatever your play is, volume, relationships, talent acquisition strategy, whatever that is, like that's, you're gonna see more kind of sectored you know, pieces to it with different offerings, not the standard 20, 30% offerings. That's what I yeah. think is gonna happen. It's gonna be interesting. I'll tell you one thing as well. Why, well, not, don't tell you, I'm gonna ask you something. Um, what, <laughs> why do you think recruitment is so far behind, like say tech sales, for example? Because even with like, um, who was I talking to the other day? I was speaking to this recruiter the other day and he was like messaging me about his, is cold calling script, right? And what I've realized is like all the stuff, all the tech sales gurus talk about and all the sales trainers have been talking about. Um, one of my, one of the favorite uh, sales trainers on LinkedIn is a guy called Benjamin Dennehy. He's become a bit, he's called the, um, he's called the UK's most hated sales trainer. That's how he sort of like market <laughs> himself. And he's doing yeah, very well at the moment. Good I've been following for a few years, but he's really interesting because he sort of, um, he was a big advocate of pattern interrupts before pattern interrupts yeah. were um, popular. You know, go back yeah. seven years and cold calls were, hi, my name is David Rolls. The reason I'm calling is because blah. And then you'd sort of go down. But now all the tech sales guys across the UK and the US and probably everywhere else, you know, start their calls with stuff like, um, this is a sales call let me steal 30 seconds yep. or you can hang up now sort of thing. So yep. anyway, people don't do that in recruitment and recruitments. I don't know what it is, why, why it is so slow to adapt stuff from like, you know, the, the new stuff, the stuff that's working now. Um, yeah. Because it's this very it, similar I mean, job. No, it's it. I mean, honestly, recruiting has so many correlative industries, real estate, um, you know, tech sales, uh, enterprise sales, like it's just, it's sales in general, marketing in general, like that's mm. why I take in so much. Right. Um, but I think the reason, really the reason why is cause there's really no, like, going back to the point of, you don't really have to have a lot to, to start a recruiting agency. 
It's the lowest barrier to entry. I, I don't know another business that has a lower barrier to entry. You need a computer, you need a phone, and you need some sort of sourcing tool. Um, and now those sourcing tools are so cheap that like it's really simple to get in. Um, it's just really bad recruiters in the space. And uh, and not again, not to, most of them, I don't even blame them. Most of them, I blame you if you if you had the opportunity to get better and then you didn't. And um, so like, so I just don't, I think that a lot of it is just like, that sales can be, sales is sexy, marketing is sexy, recruiting has not, recruiting has been looked like a, a, as like an HR function for so long. Like, I don't think in, up until probably 2018, really, like we started seeing this transition into like, oh, recruiting is actually the lifeblood of our business and it's a functional yeah. piece of what we do. So like, and then on top of that, it's like, it's based on the economy. Like if the economy is doing bad, you're not, you're not really having a great recruiting year. Like a lot of my clients aren't having great recruiting years. And I'm like, it's just, you know, you got to deal with it. Um, uh, you can start helping yourself get better right now and you can you know, weather the storm with some fees, but are you going to have a $1.6 million desk year? Like my, my mentor, one of my mentors, like they're, they're, not doing anywhere near what they were used to doing. Right. And so they had to fully transition and pivot out. So it's like, at the end of the day, it's just like, there's this, it's an old school play with a lot of old school players. So a lot of the companies are also very like, uh, legacy oriented. So, uh, you know, older, you know, boomers, if you will, own it and they don't really want to like they, they don't want to like fix what's not broken right they don't like i talk to recruiting agencies all the time and i'm shocked every single one of them that almost all of them i talk to i should say almost all of them do not have some sort of cadence software or some sort of like you know crm or ats that actually like you know helps them stay on track with messaging and tracks that messaging they, they do it on like spreadsheets and like like weird stuff and i'm like dude like well, we just don't want to pay that kind of money. I'm like, it's cheap now. It's like yeah, seven. It's, really nice. it's, it's so it's it's like, what are we doing, guys? Like, you know, like I'm not saying go and automate everything. Like, I don't believe in that. I, like, I I think Apollo is a fantastic tool, but I'm not gonna like bank everything on my Apollo. I, I there's a lot of it that's still manual in what I implement, and so it's like, like, dude, just like get have an automated follow up. Have something like you know, have like a LinkedIn presence and no one's doing it because they just aren't taught it and it wasn't broke. So they don't fix it. And then when the economy's hot, they're like, oh, we made, you know, 10 million bucks. And then like when the hot economy's shit, they're like, oh, well, you know, we still made 10 million bucks two years ago. We'll just wait for the next hot economy. Uh, oh, the hot economy's hot again. We made another 10 million bucks. And so this constant yo-yo and people are cool with it because, you know, a lot of the space is just composed of billers, really. Like, like there's no real like thought leaders in the space as much anymore. And the ones that are in that space, like, ended up moving to talent acquisition at like Google, you know, or Facebook, yeah. and you know, yeah. So that that's that's actually an interesting point because there really aren't. Um, and I've realized this. I never really realized this because, you know, when you're working for an agency, you're just so focused on your market and what you're doing. You, you're not looking yeah. at the other, you're not looking at the recruitment industry as a whole. Why would you It'd be a waste of time? Yeah. Um, but having moved into it, it's been actually fascinating how like 
so many agencies are still operating like it's 2007 and yeah. it's like yeah it's not even down to like technology it's just of like you know sales has moved on massively how we communicate has moved on massively how we market has moved on massively um you know 99% of recruiters still don't have any essence or microscopic evidence that they're building a personal brand mm. on linkedin um yep. it's it's such a it's like a it's such a dinosaur dinosauric is that a word well, i'm gonna make yeah, it a yeah word. i mean it's, it's, it's yeah it's an it's it, it is it is a played you know marketing and sales tactic and that's the and, and again people wonder why they're not getting any sales right now and things aren't working for them because the market has moved on from your traditional mm. emails and again if you're gonna do that i'm not saying you have to go build a linkedin brand it helps it helps a hell of a lot uh you people who are playing like i, I talk about playing on hard mode a lot right so companies like people mm. play on hard mode all day long because they don't have a linkedin brand but you know it's not that you have to um you just need to find markets that are hot and if you're okay with jumping from market to market that's cool do it um I think you can do it in a way that doesn't, you know, stress you out and burn you out so fast. Uh, but you need to, whenever there's a hot market, these guys just move on and go do that. And, you know, it's a big part of, of the situation is that they just don't know, they don't have any sales and marketing skills. Like they're, they're, they're archaic. Like they're, it's, it's old timey, like yellow page like my dad used to take the yellow pages and call down the yellow pages my dad my yep. mom when i when i was was at, as a, at a real estate agency she forced me <laughs> as like a 17 year old kid sit down call these numbers and see if they want to sell their house and so it was like i'm just it was all volume it was volume 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 and like now the market has been like we hate the volume approach google is like stop it you can't send all these shitty emails anymore. Um, and then everybody's just trying to figure out their workaround on it instead of just adapting. Like, like, like that, the that, thing actually, is it, that it, it, what you ahead. just touched on there, you're talking about email deliverability. Yeah. The email deliverability, man. It's like, it, it's the one thing that most people don't even, I have a client right now. They, I had, I had the most frustrating call because they're like, we pull, you know, a thousand points of data a day or thousand contact data points of contact data a day per recruiter and i was like why why and they're like well because whenever we get a good candidate we you know we we push them out to like all the comp like in a, in, in a let's say manufacturing we push them out to all the manufacturing companies we can find i'm like but can all the manufacturing companies use that candidate like what what, where's, what space is that candidate in well He's a food manufacturing processing engineer. I'm like, so you're pushing a food processing engineer to an aerospace manufacturing company. Like, do you, do you not see the issue here? And I was like, what's your, what's your deliverability like? And then they're like, well, we use a platform, like it's a MailChimp type of platform, um, that just like allows us to have better deliverability because we're using their servers. I'm like, okay, what's your conversion rate? Well, we got 250 accounts last year and I'm like, uh, that's a, like, I did the math and it was like a 0.00005% conversion rate. And I was like, guys, like 
what are you doing? Like, this is spam. Like, this is not, this yeah. is not recruiting. This is not business development. This is not sales. You're playing the volume game. And that's cool. I get it. But like, you're, you realize like you're, you're not just setting yourself up for liability because like now GDPR standards and all this other stuff, right? Like you have, you know, spamming laws, but like, you're kind of ruining your brand and mm. you'll ruin it in, in that space really quickly with the level of, of, you know, people you're reaching out to. And so, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting space. Like I've never done that. Like I stopped doing, you know, I, I the most I ever did was like a hundred a day and that was at Cybercoders, and, um, and I, that felt icky. And ever since I just don't do that. Like I, we maybe send out 25 emails a day, maybe, maybe. And they're yeah. very targeted. So that's how I was taught. Sitting. I was taught literally just take as much shit as you can and you just throw it out the throw wall. Throw it at the wall. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then occasionally it would work. This is the problem. Occasionally yeah. it works. Yeah. And then yeah. because there's no further analysis done, it's, it works. Yeah. It's, yeah. we did this thing. It works. Let's do that more. And that's all, yeah. that's all that happens. And so many agencies do yeah. it. But then the problem is, and the problem we're in at the moment is that's how, so let's say you started your rec recruitment career in 2011, right? So you've got 12 mm -hmm. years experience at this point. You're probably like, 36, I guess, you know, yeah. something like that, right? That yeah. sort of range. Still, good, good, still quite good young, guess, young good still guess. a millennial. But then you go set up your own agency because you're a high mm -hmm. biller and that's what worked. And then you go do that. And, you know, you might have got away with it at one of the big companies that's got this enormous database with this enormous reputation. And your clients just work with you because they want to work with the best. The name. And, yeah, um, the name. Yeah. And, and, and then you, it doesn't work with your agency. And now everyone's struggling. I had just got off a call with the exact person that you're talking about right now. And they're like, <laughs> I did this and, 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 and on the opposite side too. Like, so this also happens on the opposite side where there's like not enough volume. Well, I worked as a relationship based recruiter and all I did was just go out and meet people. And then I had these like great successes and I'm like, they're like, it's not working anymore. And I'm like, yeah, cause you were at a bigger firm, bigger agency, you had a better name. And so you need to find your balance of volume and um and relationships and like solving the problem and the only way you can do that is by like at first niching down in a hot hot market hot hot candidates on hot hot titles that's the first that's the first thing you do is if you if i was starting my business today um i would just be focusing on manufacturing and accounting and public sector um that would be the three spaces i'd be in and i would find the best candidates i could possibly find within the niches in those spaces. And I'd just be like targeting boom, 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 boom. And, and AI, AI would be another one because everybody has budget for AI right now. So boom, 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 just pushing out, pushing out, pushing out. And then I would be doing that on a regular basis. I'd be trying to send out anywhere from 50 to maybe a hundred emails, connection requests, whatever a day in each of those sectors. Right? So yeah, you can get up to 300, 400, but still very targeted. But again, if I'm good and efficient and I've done the work up front, that doesn't be, that, that becomes very easy to do, right? Because you'll max out your market in, you'll in like three weeks, three or four weeks, but it's still targeted, right? It's still very, very targeted. And then I'd run nurture campaigns and engagement and try and build out a brand in that space. And if I was building across multiple spaces, I'd have someone else on my team, um, uh, VA, my wife, whoever, 
to be the face of that side of the brand. And then I would be the face on this side of the brand and we would just dominate together. Like that's how I would do it. Like, and if you did that guarantee, I, if you did that with some good copy and showcase that you understand the, the need, the pain or whatever, had a good offering, there's no way you don't bill. There's just no way. Like they're like, just not a way. I did that. And we did that with, um, with one of our clients, he put in, he put in minimal work. I mean, like Dave, this guy put in, like, I gave him a whole cadence. He only did the LinkedIn connection and message. Like part of the, the sequence brought in 185 K worth of business, uh, pipeline business in this first two weeks. It's like, boom, I had another client we did this with. Um, in the beginning of the year, he brought in 150 K retainer and a, uh, I think another 180 K worth of pipeline business in commitment. Right. Um, but he focused on companies that he knew were hiring and who knew he knew who were that person focused on companies that he knew were hiring and used agencies. So he knew there was a market there. So he kind of had a strategic advantage, but the one, the earlier one I had mentioned, he, we just tweaked his positioning statement, productized his business exactly what we did. And we talked about like exactly what the pain was in the recruiting process for him, which was in the public sector and specifically in like, like, a, uh, like secret clearance sector. Right. So it's a very specific pain that has to deal with recruiting. So that's an understandable mm -hmm. pain that I would touch into, but like, but he's still led with candidates, right? Still led with candidates, not his service. And, um, and it was awesome and he just crushed it and i've got a testimonial from him and i i love that man and um you know and it, i love what we were able to do together with him so it's like just you don't have to have a brand he doesn't have anything it's to stitch a linkedin branding by the way two two sentence email two sentence email that he did and it worked and it's like, it's wild. So if I, I, there's nothing that is stopping you right now, except for maybe like your agency that you work at and the sector that you're in. That's it. Yeah. But dude, so, um, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, yeah, anything man. else you want to talk about or. No, we, we, we covered a lot. We can always come back. We've, co we've I mean, covered quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do another Hopefully one. Just come back on. Yeah. I'm happy to, man. Let me in. Like, this is fun. I'm, uh, I'm sweating in the lights right now. I need to get air conditioning in my room so I don't sweat through my shirt next time. So yeah, I'm the same. I, when I have these two ring lights on, um, I get like you can see it in my head. You can, I'm very aware of it as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I have to shut the window as well because I, I told you that people. I've got like a lot of walkway down here, so like yeah. I live in a bit of a funny part of London as well. It's like um, it like borders with like a really dodgy part of London. It's like in North yeah. London and. Um, we get some interesting characters around her. Like we, uh, what, 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 like all my neighbors do, right. If you want to get rid of stuff in, I don't know how it works in, in, in LA, but in uh, the UK, you're meant to typically call like the council, um, or the government yeah. or whatever to get them to come pick it up. Or you take it to like a skip. Yeah. And, uh, what everyone does around here is they just leave it outside. It can leave be, like, it a suitcase, oh, yeah. a bed, like a chair, whatever. And <laughs> because the, the, yeah, some of the people that come come around, there's a lot of homeless people around here and stuff, but um, it's gone within like two hours. I was doing the oh, washing yeah. up um, yesterday and my, my fiance put her suitcase out and I was just doing the washing gone. up and it, it 
And, and, and I was just watching him and he just comes, looks at the suitcase, tries out the zip a little bit, rolls it back and forth. And he's like, this is mine. And he was just yeah. walking down the street of our suitcase. And I, I was just like, it's such a convenient way. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, it's, my it's, point it's is like that that in LA there's too. lots of noise. Yeah. No, it's uh, I just get the boob sweat like right here. Like you'll start seeing moisture. <laughs> I'm leaving the symbol. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, I just like all of my cleavage is like just whew, so. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I gotta like get the air conditioner. Oh man, but yeah, no, it's been fun. Um, if anybody wants to find me or, or reach out to me, like they can just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, that's like my my main way of connecting with people. Uh, we also have a BD cohort. Um, or sorry, we have a a community that we're building out right now. Uh, that I'm super excited about. We're launching next week that will be uh, kind of like an, a more paid for community. But if you just want free tips and advice, we also have our newsletter, um, RWD, uh, Recruiting with Dynamite, which is funny because like you have yours, RWD. We're two RWDs working together, so. Yeah, I actually just changed mine. Funny you mentioned that. Did, I actually did you? I literally just changed mine. Like, yeah, because I just didn't, I don't know. It was like, because it's always been Recruit with Dave. And that's my that was my TikTok page and everything was to Recruit with Dave. But I got to a point where I was like, I don't think it's really relates to what I do anymore because it's like rec people are like, what's the, do you recruit or like, what I don't understand. And I'm like, yeah. no, I don't really anymore. Cause I, I started it as like a, it, it, cause of what I've done has evolved. I've completely changed my company name to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but this is like what happens with someone who's basically got ADHD or whatever. I'm actually getting tested for that as well. Starts a business. Oh, Everything changes all the time. So. <laughs> I have the word like my, I, so I set up our logo. So funny story, uh, before I let you go, our logo is kind of crazy. Um, and the reason why it was crazy is because I wanted it to be crazy because I know that I'm going to want to change it over time. So the, the idea is, was I, I would start the newsletter and that'd be like version 1.0 of my business. It'd be kind of crazy, kind of weird. And then as we progress into season two of our newsletter and we progress into more offerings, our logo is going to change with it. So our logo is going to like, I just, we were finishing up the, the final pieces on the, the next logo, which is going to come out with season two of the newsletter. And it's a more refined version of that logo. So it's like, you start to see a little bit more kind of structure to the face and what's happening on it. Like, it's not just like a big splat with like, you can barely tell that. So I, I'm ADHD all the way. Um, shout out to all my ne neurodivergence. Um, it's just like my brain just is constantly on tangents. And if you're listening to this, you probably saw it a few times when, or heard it a few times when I was talking. So it's like, it goes from yeah. like one spot and then it's like, Oh, squirrel, let's talk about that. Like, that's cool. Um, so yeah, but yeah, man, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Have me on anytime. Let me know. And I'm, I'm happy to jump on. We'll get more like into the tactical stuff if you want to. Yeah, sure, man. Well, we can just talk about comedy again. <laughs> <laughs>